Well, hello once again, everyone. This is Crucial Conversations, and I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. And we're back with another episode. It's kind of how podcasts work, isn't it? You come back with more episodes. Episodic. <laughs> Episodic by nature. Is that like a band? That sounds like a band name of some kind. Kevin, if you started a band called Episodic by Nature, what kind of music would you play? Punk. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. Did I say that last time too? Do I say every time we're going to do something a little bit different? So which actually means we're not going to do anything different. We're just going to do the same thing we do every time. Episodic. (laughs) That's, that's, That's now what that means. So Kevin, as a Lutheran, there are some Bible verses that scare me. You know, some of us have this like, story of we used to be Lutheran, used to be something else and now we're Lutheran and so therefore everything is fixed and I'm okay now. I got better. <laughs> I got better. I got better. <laughs> I think I'll go for a walk. And and but but now that I'm a Lutheran, there's some Bible verses that scare me cuz cuz those verses aren't very Lutheran. And mm. we'll, I think I'll explain what I mean by that as we get going here because it sounds kind of weird. But the reality is, as I read the Bible, there's sometimes, through my new Lutheran lens, sometimes I read something, I'm like, wait a minute, that, I'm not sure how that works, or that doesn't seem quite right, and I don't know, maybe I skip over it and move on, <laughs> or, or ignore it entirely, or try and explain it away, that's, that's usually a good good tactic there is to explain away how it actually means something else entirely than what it appears to mean on its face. Is this making sense at all? Yes. Are you scared yet? I'm scared. <laughs> so there's So actually, you're basically scared that Lutheranism isn't true all at, the time. At least for these particular Bible verses. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the fear is that I have joined a church body or a denomination or a congregation and i really like it and i want it to be right it's better than what i was before right it's definitely an improvement and yet there are things in the bible that make us go hmm maybe it's not perfect Mm. and we're scared yeah so go ahead (laughs) be scared okay so i actually this this bible verse when we were thinking through okay what should we do for a podcast today this bible verse came up because when i was a college bible study teacher one of the books we went through was book of philippians and we had already done galatians and just kind of we i think we skipped ephesians i don't know what happened there but we just hey let's do philippians next but one of the reasons we wanted to do philippians is because it included some of this okay you're a christian how should you live kind of stuff so we appreciated that about it. And yet, there, there are a couple times in Philippians where it's like, okay, I don't know what that means. I know I'm justified by faith. So that's a great Lutheran phrase. I'm, I'm saved not by anything that I've done, not by my own works, but purely because of Christ and what he's done for me. And so, okay, we got, we got that. But now, there, there's this place in Philippians where I don't know. It almost seems to say something else if if you're not careful how you read it. I don't know if I'm 
<laughs> tipping my hand already. <laughs> okay. But but as we're going through this in the Bible study, this actually became a stumbling block for us, me as the teacher and then the students as well, where we're trying to figure out, okay, what does this passage mean? So I'm going to read it in context because we know that's always a good thing to do. And hey, the more scripture we can read on a podcast, that's always good too. So Philippians 2 is the chapter we're looking at. I'm actually going to start at verse 12 and go from there. Actually, no, I'm going to start earlier because the passage I want is right around there. Um, nope, I'm just going to start there. That's that's easy enough. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, okay. Work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. This this is the phrase that we stumbled on, where it's like, what does this mean? We've spent years talking about how somebody is saved, and it has nothing to do with them. And in the context of this Bible study with these students, it, it and myself included, I will add, it was a difficult road just grasping the whole, it's not about me, and here, Paul seems to be turning it back to be about me in, in some way. And we actually didn't know what to do or how to proceed from here. So let's talk about that today. <laughs> let's talk about this passage in particular. But if we want to talk, uh, how do we handle these passages in general, though? Well, the, the thing that causes us consternation or makes us pause as you read the scriptures. As Lutherans, we are we kind of have our radar out for any works righteousness that might <laughs> creep into anything. Yeah. And and while that's a helpful thing, it also distracts us. And so he, let's just get some terms out, out of the way. First of all, um, when you talk about being saved because God alone does it, Mm-hmm. Right, that's called divine monergism. Right. We've talked about that before. That God alone is working. That's what monergism literally means, right? Only yeah. working. Yep. So God alone works, and that's what we confess in justification by grace through faith. That you are saved because God has sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for you. In His death and His resurrection, He paid for the sins of the whole world. He gives that to you through faith. He even gives that faith to you by the power of the Holy Spirit through what we call the means of grace, that he comes to you through the word, and that word is heard in preaching and teaching in reading the scriptures. It's also in baptism, right, where the water mm-hmm. is combined with God's word. Um, also in the Lord's Supper, where, the as Luther says, it's in the words given and shed for you. The promises of Christ are in this supper. He's physically present in with a bread and wine to deliver forgiveness of sin. So these are all the ways that God works mm-hmm. to save us, right? And it's all right. pointing back to the work that he did in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, and, and again, when we say his death and resurrection, that's a summary, right? Right. Jesus' entire earthly ministry, his act of obedience, 
right? Obeying the Father's will, keeping the commandments, fulfilling the law, doing all things, even his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. This is all to accomplish your salvation, and you had nothing to do with it. It's simply something that God did and gives to you as a gift, right? Yeah. That's what we mean by justification by grace through faith. And, and that's what it took us years, actual years, to work through. Right. What, is, what does that mean? How does this work? How does that work? Yeah. And, <laughs> and the scriptures presented in various ways, right? Yeah. I mean, from Genesis through Revelation and back again, this is the, the content of Holy Scripture, that in Jesus Christ... God was doing this action to save. Mm -hmm. This is the point, right? And then we get into Christology, where Jesus is God and man, and, and all those kind of things. So that's divine monergism. Now, what's happened is, in the history of theology, many people have noticed that in the Bible, there's also a lot of talk about how God's people should live. Yeah. And so a lot of people have concluded that, therefore... There's kind of a God part of this and a man part of this. So God does certain things, and then we're supposed to do certain things. And if we work those two things together, then that results in salvation. And that's what's called synergism, right? Yeah, yeah. To sin, S-Y-N, not S-I-N, <laughs> right. <laughs> is is kind of together or with. In sync. Right, in sync, yeah, exactly. Yeah, another way of looking at which it. Which is a very weird band from the 90s i think well yeah um, they, they don't but, spell in right yeah they don't yeah, they, yeah but the synergism means working together right or working with and so in synergistic theology god does most of the work humans come alongside and fulfill the act of whatever it takes whether it's right. whether it's deciding to or asking jesus into your heart whether or it's accepting accepting him whether it's um making him Lord of your life by taking certain actions, mm -hmm. whether it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's doing good works, um, just a crass statement that you have to be good. Right. Um, you know, <laughs> however it manifests itself, synergism is, is kind of the theological statement that in order for salvation to be accomplished in someone's life, God has to do a major part of it, sending his son, Mm -hmm. And then humans have to do some part of it, usually a very small part, to um, kind of finish the work. Yeah, just complete it. Complete it. God yeah. has done 99%. Won't you do 1%? Yeah. Right? It's that's not that hard, That's all you Peter. have to do. So that's called synergism. And as Lutherans, we are, we are really the church that is focused on making sure that everyone hears the pure gospel that salvation is not synergistic, but monergistic. And that's good news because God doesn't mess up. Right. <laughs> right? If it's, I have any part to play, then my salvation is always in doubt. Yeah, it's good that that last little bit or the first little bit isn't left up to me. Yeah. Because I will likely screw it up. Not or likely. fail to do it right. You will or, always mess it up. Yeah, I, I will mess it up. I'll fail yeah. to do it right. Um, I'll forget something. I might not be sincere. Or I'll be just plain inconsistent. Yeah. So today I know I'm saved because I had my quiet time and I said my prayers and I avoided whatever sin that I was trying to avoid. But then tomorrow 
it doesn't go so well. Yeah. And my faith isn't as strong or I doubt or, and then all of a sudden I'm always in this yo-yo of, I'm sure I'm saved. Ooh, maybe I'm not. And, <laughs> was, and that's was the I problem. Serious? Is, Did I really yeah. commit? I'm not sure. Did I mean that decision or was yeah. it an emotional high? Yeah. Yeah. All those kinds of problems. And so that's why it's important for us to understand that, that justification by grace through faith or divine monergism is not just a theological stance. That is the good news. Yeah. It's actually hope. For us, yes, because it takes it completely out of our hands and puts it on the one who can do it. Yeah, <laughs> which, it, in in real essence, Lutheranism basically says, "Let God do the God stuff." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and the amazingly good news about Scripture is the God stuff is saving us, which is great news. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> so when we say trust or believe or have faith, what we're saying is trust that God saves you. In Jesus. Yeah. So what happens is when we were reading the scripture, like, yeah, that's it. That's what the scriptures teach everywhere. It's always God doing it. And then you read a passage like this and you go, oh. Well, yeah, because it has the word salvation yeah. in it. So, so work <laughs> out your salvation. Not only does it have salvation, it has work. Yeah. And your. And you. And it's an imperative. It's and Paul telling. It doesn't say, yeah. oh, just sit back and let God save you. Right. Which is what we wish it said. <laughs> but it doesn't. So what that means is Paul wasn't Lutheran. No, it does not mean that, actually. <laughs> but that's what we're scared it means. Right. We're scared that we miss something or that this, this good news is too good to be true. And that in the end, there really will be something that I have to do or that it is contingent on me in some way. Or, or there's a sense, and I think this is, this is what often happens with me, is... The fear that this thing that I rejected thoroughly and repudiated and said, no, that is thoroughly wrong, may actually have had something right to say to me. You know, this this past theological construct under which I labored, <laughs> no pun intended, um, worked. might have actually have, might actually have some good things to say that they're, that, that I can't just completely throw it out and say, that was all evil. And there is nothing good to be had in it. And I think there's a fear, especially if I've burned bridges in the process of throwing it all away. Yeah. Then now what have I done? Yeah. I'm, I might have damaged some things that should not have been damaged or didn't need to be damaged in my haste to embrace this new paradigm, this new way of reading scripture and everything. So once again, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, here's a verse, here's a passage of scripture, here's a section of scripture, here's a statement in scripture. And the question is, how do you read it? Yeah. It's it, it's kind of like we've been talking about in our previous podcasting episodes lately, is this issue of, and we're going to use a big word, hermeneutics. Yep. Right? And, and Herman is not a guy's name at this point. <laughs> hermeneutics is really, how do you interpret a text? Yep. That's all it means, really. Yeah. How do you read a text? How do you interpret it? And this is one of those texts where if you just lift these words out of context and I don't just mean the verses around it, I mean out of the new Testament and out of Paul and just make these like a bumper sticker. They could say you have to work out your own salvation and God doesn't have anything to do with it. Or they could say, this is all synergism and God has done his part. You need to work out your own salvation because they do kind of read that way. But here's the thing. If you actually read the verse in the context of Philippians, it literally can't mean that. Hmm. On the other hand, 
it also stops us from this notion that because God is the one who saves us, that we have no part to play in living out the Christian life. Yeah. Which is another danger that we encounter. So I think this is one where Lutherans are, are very, very aware of this. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out two terms um, that we need to properly define as well. The first one is legalism, and the second one is pietism. These are two things that we very much seek to avoid um, generally. We can also talk about some of the I don't know if legalism has a positive side, but pietism kind of does. We'll, we'll talk about yeah. that a little bit. But legalism, the, this idea that unless you... Kevin, you define legalism for me. I think you'd do a better job at that. Well, I mean, legalism is... is I mean, these are really hard terms to define, actually. That's why legalism, I threw it to you. Yeah. Legalism is being obsessed with the law. I mean, just it may, it's a simple term, right? Legal law. It's yeah. just saying that when you're legalistic... You're, you're looking at the law all the time to define your relationship to God, right? So you're always running to the law instead of the gospel. And specifically how well or not well you're keeping it. And then whenever you run to the law, the law always points toward you, not toward God. So the mm -hmm. question of the law is how am I or how are you fulfilling the law? How are you doing up living up to the measure of the law? Yeah. Are you doing well? Are you doing poorly? If you're doing well, well, then you're in God's good graces. If you're not doing well, then God might be a little ticked off at you or something, yeah. right? And legalism and, is on the side of somebody who's already saved. It's right. Kind of so now that you're that. saved, you have to live up to it. Yeah. Okay? And that's and that's a legalistic viewpoint. Um, it's also pietism. Pietism is basically the idea that we measure our salvation by the way we feel, right? So first mm -hmm. of all, you kind of got to feel God in your heart. You got to have a burning sensation in your chest or you got to really be into the word or something like that. Right. But then also that if you are really into God, then your actions will necessarily show that. And if your actions don't bear the fruit of being saved or, or progressing in sanctification, then I'm not sure whether or not you're saved. Yeah. That's pietism. I want to look at your life and determine whether or not you're saved right. based on how you act. So they, they love the verses in the New Testament that talk about bearing fruit or show me your faith by what you do and all those verses. And, and those are good verses. But right. the problem is they make those verses the way that we know whether or not we're saved. And, and this is something that we're going to talk about probably for the rest of the podcast is that... <laughs> Both legalism and pietism contain good terms within them. It's the isms that make them bad. Right. So piety is great. As a matter of fact, it's praised in the Bible. Which, you want to be pious. Yeah, we're, that's actually where we're going to end up talking is yes. where these verses go. We all long to be pious. Mm -hmm. We should. This is the Holy Spirit working in us, is we long to live our lives according to the will of God. It's in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. If you go to a, a LCMS congregation and you use the Lutheran service book, it's at the end of our confession, that we ask God to teach us to delight in his will and walk in in his ways. Mm -hmm. That's piety. Yeah. That's, the desire to live a holy life pleasing to God yes. is piety. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. Yep. But pietism to make my ability to live out my faith, the thing that defines my relationship to God, that's a terrible thing. <laughs> because now you've moved Christ out of the way of being the, the thing that determines our relationship to God, and you've put me in there. Yeah. And that's the bad thing. 
That's the danger. Same thing with legalism. Yes, we want to live according to the law of God. Because, according to the form of the Concord, the law is the actual will of God. So we want to be both pious and we want to live according to the law, the will of God, the will of God which is yeah. the same thing, right? right? Being pious means living according to the will of God. Yeah. I want to love God with my whole heart and love my neighbor as myself. That's what the Holy Spirit teaches me to want. Yeah. That's the renewing of my mind, as Paul says in Romans 12. Which right. also comes with a whole list of things I need to do. Yes. <laughs> we'll probably we'll probably cover that one at some point, too. And so we want to make sure that we affirm that the New Testament definitely does teach us that being in Christ does affect the way we live. Right. It's not okay to keep sinning. Or to love my sin. Right. I mean, that that's, yeah. <laughs> we Repentance means I don't want to sin again. Yeah, I agree with God that this thing I'm doing is wrong, and I'd like to stop doing it. And as we say as Lutherans, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. So here, now we get to our text. So Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we go, oh no, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It's not that hard. It simply means live like you're saved. Live the life of a believer. And... One of the things that we do as Lutherans is we're so scared of certain phrases that we pretend that they can't have any valid meaning in the Christian life. And one of the, one of the phrases we get at is decisions. People hmm. say, well, I decided. Like, oh, no, no, you can't decide. It's like, well, actually, I would like you to decide to make good decisions today. I would like you to decide <laughs> to go to church on Sunday. I would like you to decide to raise your children in Christ. I would like to, you to decide to baptize your children. I would like you to decide to love your wife. All to, these to things. To decide to not sin today. Yes. I would like you to decide yeah. to resi resist that temptation. Right. I really would. And, it, and it's not saying, oh, wow, Peter, now you're saved because you're making good decisions. No, it's saying... Or look now at how that, good of a Christian right. you are because you've decided the right things. Right. Therefore, and, you're a better Christian than the rest of us. And even to the point of saying, and this is where the fear comes in, I'm not even saying that this decision is because you are wonderful. Mm -hmm. When you make a decision that is pleasing to God, who gets the credit for that? Well, the Holy Spirit does. Every time. Yeah. So I can look at you and say, Peter, decide to live out your faith today. And when you do, all praise and glory goes to God. And when you don't, all blame. It's on me. Yeah, that's your fault. <laughs> and so what I would say as a brother in Christ then is you need to repent of your sin, mm -hmm. trust in Christ for forgiveness, and learn to live according to his will. Now, let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Please open your Bibles if you're following along. Yeah. Philippians chapter 2, and this is so important. Don't start at verse 12 like Peter did. <laughs> just don't do it. I just, just didn't want to read the entire first just 11 horrendous. verses on the, on the air. <laughs> but listen, listen to verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves. This is to the church in Philippi, right? So this is the, the you plural is the church. Yeah, and that's an important point we haven't even brought up yet. Very important. The, this actually isn't talking to me as an individual. Right. 
This is Paul talking to the church. The church. Yeah. Okay. So have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, you, this idea of your salvation and you working is actually in the context of what Jesus has done and how God will work in you. Mm-hmm. Right, God will work in you. This salvation that Jesus Jesus accomplished through His humiliation, His humble death, His resurrection, and at the time of His return, when He comes back, and every knee will bow, not just Christians, mm-hmm. every knee will bow. Then, your salvation which was accomplished on the cross, will be delivered to you for all of eternity, and you'll be welcomed into the Father's kingdom, not because of anything you did, but because of what the what God has done for you in Christ, because of what Christ accomplished for you. Yeah. Right? And, and what you're going to do now, between now and when Christ returns, work out your salvation. Dear church, live like you're saved. Verse 13, here's the weird thing. Verse 13 actually gives us a clear answer where it says, for right. it is God who works in you. And yeah. it's the connection there is very clear that God is, even in this working out, God is working in us to do that. But what is it about us where we you can miss the entire context? So let me put it this way. Faithful Christians read this passage and come to very different conclusions about it. Right. And yet they're still Christians. Yep. And yet they would read this and say, no, no, no. This actually is about something more about me working. Maybe it has to do with my salvation. Maybe I'm working my own sanctification mm-hmm. in this process. And yet they're Christians. Mm-hmm. They genuinely desire to follow Christ, mm-hmm. to live according to his word. Sure. And they read this and say, no, that's that's not what that is how <laughs> and that's what do we do okay not how does that happen i don't think that's a that's right, a good that's question easy. to ask but what do we do what what do we do with that how do we talk to individuals that we encounter like that it's the same answer i'm going to give to every question you ask which is point them to jesus <laughs> and and rejoice with them in what god has done yeah there is nothing wrong with looking a brother in the eye and saying, if my salvation is contingent on my ability to work it out well, I do not have any hope of being saved. Hmm. But my trust is in what Christ has done. And my goal as a Christian is to learn to live according to the will of God. Some days I do pretty well. 
Most days I don't. <laughs> yeah. But here's the good news about the cross. Nothing I do undoes the cross. And nothing I do makes the cross more effective. I don't affect what God has done. I simply receive what he has done and learn to live accordingly. And that's the big move. Scripture does not teach us that God is waiting for you to do something so that he can love you. Mm-hmm. That's not what scripture says. Yeah. Scripture presents God as the one who acts in love to save. Now, as the people of God, we live reflecting that love to everyone in the world. Yep. First of all, back to God. Have you ever thought about that? Your first role as a Christian is reflect God's love back to him. He has loved you so much that he sent his son to die to forgive your sins. Therefore, repent. Trust that he will forgive your sins. So what do you do when someone says, I'm here to forgive your sins? You say, okay, here's all my sins. Please (laughs) forgive them. And God says, you're forgiven. I forgive you. Because of what Jesus did. We actually organize our church services in this way. Exactly. If, If you come to one of our churches on a Sunday morning, this is actually how the whole thing starts. Yep. Where we confess how bad we are at doing all this, how much we have failed utterly at doing this, and God forgives us, and we reflect that love back to him and say, thank you. Thank you. That's great. This is, wonder- this is wonderful news. We sing praises. I want to we, sing now. Yeah, we sing. Sometimes we... <laughs> Even Kevin wants to sing Sometimes as Lutherans we get so excited, we offer a hearty, amen. I think hearty is a bit strong, Kevin. Yeah, well, it is we're, a little. It's pietistic. Our, our church tradition is a little more German. Yeah. Even if we, well, I'm not German. Yeah. I, no. I don't know if you are or not. I, I, I'm not sure if I am or not either. <laughs> My name is German, but yes, I'm not sure if yes. I am. But the, so what happens when we come across these passages, we, we don't say, well, that has nothing to do with my relationship with God. No, what we say is, this is teaching me how to live in Christ. Mm-hmm. So this is one thing I just want to spend a couple minutes on, and this is this is just really review, but it might be new to some people's ears. The New Testament talks about God and his work in this world in different ways. Okay? One of the ways it talks about his work in this world is to be in Christ, that the result of God's working is that we are in Christ, mm-hmm. right? And this is very Pauline language. This is something Paul likes to talk about a lot, right? Yep. You're baptized into Christ Jesus, right? Uh, faith brings you into Christ. Uh, we live in Christ. The church is in Christ. All this language in Christ, yep. right? You see it in this passage, yeah, yeah, right? It's even in the beginning of Philippians that God will will bring to completion the work that he has done for you in Christ Jesus. Like In Christ, he will do all this. So that's one way to do it. Another way that the New Testament talks about God's work is kingdom of God. Right? Mm. This is very popular in synoptics, that he's going to talk yeah. about God's work in this world as the kingdom of Matthew God. Matthew talks about the kingdom of God a lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? And what that really, one the best way to think about that is, this is what life looks like when God is in control. What does it look like? Well, people that are sick are healed. The dead are raised. Good news is preached to the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, peace instead of violence. Yeah. This is what it looks like. Um, God himself in flesh walking around. This is what it looks like. And Jesus often says, shall, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? And then he tells a parable. Because the whole point is, <laughs> when God is in control, things are going to be different than you expect. Right. 
right? And so that's another way that the New Testament presents God's work in this world. Another way, and this is what we're going to get at now, is, and this is John's favorite way, which means it's the best way, right? <laughs> is this idea of a hidden reality. There's a reality that you can't perceive. That the only way you can understand or see this reality is by the Holy Spirit showing it to you. Hmm. And he will show you that through his word and sacraments. And this is one of those passages where, where you need to understand that this is actually presenting a hidden reality. What I mean is this. You'll say to somebody, you are saved because God works faith in you. And they're like, okay, that's great. And I'll say, and you're also sanctified because God alone works in you. And they'll say, that sounds good, but if I don't decide to set my alarm, I don't come to church, and I can't receive the <laughs> word and sacraments, and therefore I decided to come, and therefore, therefore I did this. Yeah, I'm the and one if I didn't do that, I wouldn't come, therefore it's up to me. And we say, that's funny, but you're not getting it. <laughs> because what we believe the scriptures teach us is that it is the Spirit of God that is working this good work in you, right? Ephesians 2.10, it was like, oh, you got to keep reading past 8 and 9 about grace into, you know, 2.10 where there's good works. And we say, yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. God is working the good works in you. Yeah. We See, the hidden reality comes in in this. It looks to me and the whole world as though I'm deciding to do this, as though I'm doing this, as though... I'm in control of these actions. As though I'm the one who brought my daughter to be baptized. A exactly. Ago. And people say, well, therefore her salvation is actually contingent on your decision. And the pastor's decision to pour the water over her head. And the church is right. And the, yeah. you know, all this stuff, right? Meaning RIT, not, yeah. <laughs> not privilege. The church is uh, ceremony. Yeah. Ceremony. Yeah. yeah. And what we say is you're not seeing the reality of what's happening here. That's how God works. Yeah. But notice who's working. See, God works through the pastor to deliver the means of grace. That's what it actually says in the book of Concord. Augsburg Confession, Article 4. We are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. Augsburg Chapter, or Article 5. Article, yeah. How does this gospel get to people? Through means. And so we have mm -hmm. the pastoral office and we have the church to deliver these means. Why? Yep, yep. That's that's how God works. God always works through means. He has from the beginning and he will until Christ returns. He works through means. So the hidden reality helps us understand that when scripture says, here's the thing, you could live like a sinner and those kind of people don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Not so for you anymore, because now that you're in Christ, don't slander. Don't be full of malice and gossip and sexual immorality and murder and all these awful things. Right. No, you don't do that. That's not don't, who don't you are. Don't find pleasure and enjoyment in them. Right. Yeah. You are not children of the darkness. You are now children of the light. So what does Paul say? Therefore, live as children of the light. He does not say, therefore, let God work through you so you can passively become a child. No, he says, <laughs> hey, stop sinning and do what's right. Okay, but here's the problem. If I do that in my life to to somebody else, mm -hmm. say another Lutheran, they're right. going to come back with, well, stop being a pietist or you're so legalistic or, well, it's my Christian freedom mm -hmm. to kind of do this thing over here that I'm enjoying. There, We don't seem to have a, a place with within our Lutheranism to tell another brother or sister, hey, I think that's actually wrong and maybe you shouldn't be doing that. 
Yeah, and then, <laughs> and that's where we have we have honestly overreacted to some of this stuff. Yeah, is that we have gotten to the point where sometimes we pretend that there is no law, and that, or at least none that applies to me. Right, or or no law that I have to listen to. Right, and that's the problem. Is um, Galatians chapter five which is the the place where Paul says you you are now free don't be under a yoga slavery anymore. Mm-hmm. That's actually the same chapter that has the fruit of the spirit. Right. Which is really funny. Um, <laughs> Immediately after that. <laughs> yeah, too. pretty pretty cool. It's, here's here's He the... actually goes through his list of things not to do. Yeah. And then like the fruit of the spirit stuff that that's how you should live. And yes, it's passive. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit who who bears that fruit in you. But here's the point is that God does not save you by simply removing your sins. He saves you by removing your sins and giving you of his spirit. And now we live in step with the spirit. Yeah. You are given a life to live. Don't live it to serve sin. Live it, live it to serve God and your neighbor. And when you do that, never say, look how awesome I am. <laughs> never. You always say, look what God is doing. Look at God at work. Not because I'm so wonderful, but but this is Christ who forgives sinners, who turns sinners from living for sin and frees us to live for love, love for God, love for neighbor. And this is this is why I started this episode saying it's hard as a Lutheran. This is what scares me about it. This is why these passages make me uncomfortable. First of all, because, okay, if if I believe them, then there's, I need to change how I'm living. Mm-hmm. I actually need to decide how to change how I'm living. Yep. And that scares me as a Lutheran because yep. that's difficult. But then the second part is actually the even scarier part because now it means there there is some accountability mm-hmm. between myself and my other brothers and sisters in Christ as to how we should be living together and with the world. And like I said, as Lutherans, we don't have a good way to talk about that right. without getting scared. So it sounded weird as we started, but we've actually come full circle mm-hmm. and explained, look, th- this is why this verse gets scary mm-hmm. and why I don't know what to do with it. But I think the other side of this is I've realized, okay, I, my actual fear is other men, right? other people. I'm actually scared of them, not necessarily God's word, not what God has to say to me, I'm scared of what other people will say about me if I try and live according to what God's word says. And that's why whenever we talk about God, we're always going to insist on driving the conversation to Christ. Yeah. Because here's here's the actual reality of the whole thing is that if you live your life perfectly tomorrow, God won't love you any more than he already does. Mm-hmm. And if you totally mess up and sin even more than you did today, God's not going to love you any less because that's what the death and resurrection of Christ delivered to you is the full righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the full love of God, right? This is love. Not that we love God, Mm -hmm. but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So yes, we get up tomorrow and we seek to live according to the will of God, but we never look at our actions to determine how God loves us or whether or not we're saved. Mm -hmm. And we never do that for somebody else. We never look at you and say, Peter, you're not living right. I'm not sure you're saved. No, no, no. We (laughs) never do that. We drive everyone to the cross and we say, God loves you. And in that love, we learn that sin is not good. Mm -hmm. 
live in the light. Yeah. Because that's good, right? And that's where God has brought you in your baptism, right? That's where mm-hmm. when you when you receive the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper, he dismisses you in peace and says, now go live like a forgiven child of God. When you hear the word, when you confess your sins and receive absolution, now go live as a forgiven child of God. Don't yeah. go embrace sin. That's what we just came to get rid of, <laughs> right? But we never turn the conversation and say, because of your actions, God feels a certain way. No. If you're in Christ, that's the definition of who you are. As, as we've said before, we don't look at our circumstances to determine whether God is faithful. Same thing with our works. We don't look at our works. Okay, now I'm rethinking it as uh-huh. I say. It's like, uh-huh. uh-oh. Um, well, okay, there's there's still some law to be to be had here. But uh-huh. anyways, like you said, pointing it back to Christ. Because even as I'm trying to process it, it's like, I got away from Jesus. Yeah. I started thinking in a different direction other than Christ and what he's done. So let's always bring it back to that. Let's always bring it back to what he's done for us because that is the crucial conversation. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks.